We're in Genesis 22 today. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18. So we are in our series, and yeah, Genesis 22, 1 through 18. So we're in our series called New Beginnings 2.0. We're in the book of Genesis, and today we arrive at a very disturbing story. It's the story of when God calls Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. And it is ironic that it falls on this Father's Day. We're just walking right along. And like last week, perhaps God has something for us here. Now, what is God doing here in this story? Whenever I talk with people who are Christians who've been like, they've been wrestling with this story, and every time they get to it, they just say, I, I don't know what to do with this story. It makes me uncomfortable, and it doesn't sound like the God that I know. And if that's you today, I just want you to know, I'm going to make it worse for you. Uh, Not only is this a test that Abraham is being called to pass, but it is a test that every single Christian is being called to pass. This test is actually pointing us all the way back to Eden. So the test where there are two trees in the middle of the garden, in the Garden of Eden, there's two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And for Adam and Eve, eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil looked like the right thing to do. But it wasn't. And God told them, don't eat of that tree, but everything inside of them said, this is the right thing to do, and they couldn't pass the tree up. And before they made it to the tree of life, they stopped at the other tree, and everything fell apart. Now, when I say this word test, that they were being tested, it means that there is something before you that is about to expose what is already there. The test is not something about pass-fail, though it does have that, but it's more a revealing of what is already true of you, what's already inside of you. So today, in our verses, we're going to see four main points. We're going to see the test of faith, the preparation of the test, the need for the test, and then the God who provides. So let me read our verses, Genesis 22, 1 through 18. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I, the boy, will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his, Isaac, his son, and he took in his hands the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. 
When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abram called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham. I know it is a sad story. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, <laughs> I'm just picturing like Isaac in our time. And, you know, he's going to meet with his counselor. And his counselor is the first meeting. He's like, hey, you know, your life feels a little bit messed up right now, Isaac. Let's get to the bottom of it. Where do you think this is all coming from? He's like, oh, my dad, he was going to sacrifice me on an altar. Uh, but it turns out I live, so here I am, but it's really messed me up. See, uh, let, let me just make sure you see the magnitude of what's happening here, because it's even beyond what we're seeing. God is, you're saying to yourself, well, yeah, David, I see the magnitude of what's happening. God is telling him to sacrifice his only son. This is madness. But it's actually further than that, because in this culture, having a child, specifically a baby boy, was everything. And we live in a culture, we live in our society where, where our career begins to be elevated up where family is. Sometimes our career surpasses the value of family, but that does not happen in this culture. And on top of that, Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren. And by the time she had Isaac, she would have known herself to be barren for at least 50 years. So she's 90 when she has this baby. Clearly, Isaac is a miracle. And in the wait for Isaac to be born, God promised them that they would have this child. And they actually both laugh at this. His son is a miracle of miracles. It is no doubt that God has something special for Isaac and his family. Now, I've never experienced a miracle, at least to this magnitude. And it's funny, just like little things get me so excited. So before... Uh, we moved back to meeting in person, and we had to figure out how to get our live stream to work here. So Corey was out of town, and I was just working on it, and I spent probably 10 hours, and I got nothing. So finally Saturday, when, when it was like getting close, finally, with the click of a button, it started working. And I don't know why, but I felt so much joy, and it had to do with the fact that I had spent so much effort and energy into something that wasn't working over and over and over again until finally, with the click of a button, it worked. 
And then I started thinking about my son, Cruz. And I started thinking about, man, he's been, he's sick. And he has this horrible disease. What if just like that, he got better? I would not have the words in the library of my mind that would be able to describe the joy that I would feel in that moment. Abraham and Sarah would have experienced tremendous joy flooding right in their life. They're trying. She knows they've been barren forever. They're laughing at God when he says that this is going to happen. And then she becomes pregnant. But then I'm sure this weight is like, is this really going to happen? And then finally the child is born and they're holding this little baby in their arms. They hear the baby cry for the first time and know that he's okay. And then they watch their baby take their first, the baby take his, Isaac's taking his first steps. And then he, for the first time, says mommy and daddy. And then he goes out to work the field with his father, Abraham. And they're coming back and he, he sees his mom and Isaac goes running and embraces his mom. I mean, this, Isaac would have been there everything. And then God is telling him to sacrifice him. Now, what in the world is God up to? Because when we read this, we kind of feel like, man, I feel like the heroic thing for Abraham to do is to just like rebel and get as far away from God as he possibly can because nothing in this story sounds like it is the right thing to do. Or maybe he makes something up like oftentimes God, God appears to Abraham and God, Abraham hears his voice of God. Well, maybe Abraham can make up a story like, hey, I was with the goats and they were neighing a little bit too loud and so I didn't hear your voice that time. My bad. I, I kind of messed up on that one. Or maybe this is just one of the times where, like we do so often, and we say, I'm just going to ignore this part of what God's telling me to do. It really doesn't sound like the God that we know. And here's the other thing. We read this story, and it disturbs us, but we know something that Abraham doesn't know. Very quickly, we realize this is a test, and this isn't actually going to go down the way Abraham's thinking it's going to go down. But Abraham, so while we know something that Abraham doesn't know, here's what I want you to see. Abraham knows something that we don't know. Deep in his soul, Abraham knows that somehow, some way, God is going to keep his promise. Because God has been promising to him over and over and over again that through Isaac, all of the world will be blessed. Isaac is incredibly important, and yet God is telling him to sacrifice him. And so I, Abraham is thinking in his mind, no, I know my God, and I know that he will have made a way out of this. He knows it deep in his bones. And that this test shows that very thing, that Abraham, that the level of trust that he has, has burst past the cap of what we understand the limits of faith to be. He's functioning at another faith level. It's beyond reason. Abraham knows that the most reasonable thing for him to do is to trust God even when it seems unreasonable. Let me say that again. Abraham knows that the most reasonable thing for him to do is to trust God even when it seems unreasonable. And we look at Isaac, and Isaac is old enough at this point. I mean, he's carrying the wood. He's telling his father, hey, where's the lamb? And look at what Abraham says. God will provide. Abraham knows 
that God will make a way for Isaac to live through this. He's heard the promises over and over and over again. Now fast forward into the New Testament in Hebrews 11, talking about this very thing. Here's what it says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall all your offspring be named. And he considered, listen to this, that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Here's the key to unlocking how Abraham had the faith to be able to move forward with this calling that God placed before him. He had such a limitless faith in God that he knew God would somehow make a way that Isaac would be okay. Abraham's obedience was an outpouring of this faith. And it's the kind of obedience that comes from a man who has seen God deliver on his promises over and over and over again. Now, this obedience did not come overnight. It was a long pilgrimage, this spiritual pilgrimage that brought Abraham to this point. This is our second point, the preparation for the test. Abraham has grown into a completely new man. I mean, we saw this last week, a few chapters back, which would have been years ago for Abraham at this point in the story. We see Abraham before God, and God says, hey, Abraham, I'm about to wipe out a wicked city. And what does Abraham do? He starts arguing with God. He says, far be it from you, God, that you should do this because there's got to be some righteous people in that city. Now, look, now think about this. Years ago, a few chapters back, Abraham is arguing with God not to destroy a wicked city, but here God is saying, sacrifice your son, and he says, okay. No arguing, no pushback, no questioning, no secret plan to try to get away from God, just blind obedience. Why? Why all of a sudden is Abraham showing this blind obedience? Well, it's not all of a sudden. Over time, God has opened Abraham's eyes to see that God is a God he can trust in. He doesn't argue with God, he just trusts him. He knows, he has seen the heart and the mind of God, and he says to himself, I know that God must have something in store. This doesn't make any sense to me. The same way Adam and Eve needed to pass by that tree, the wrong tree, they, they saw and they said, no, I think that looks right. Abraham passes the tree and has faith and does what God tells him to do. It's completely reasonable of Abraham to do something here that seems unreasonable. Why? Because he knows that he can trust in God more than anything now. Abraham has failed in his pilgrimage to this point. Test after test, failure after failure about will God deliver? And then here, he knows it to be true. He knows God will provide. See, look at this. This is kind of weird. God, see, God has been testing Abraham to, to help him elevate him to get to this point. But here, actually, what we realize is that Abraham has also been testing God. 
He's been testing to see if God is faithful. He's been testing to see if God can be relied on. He's been asking the question, is this a God who I can trust with everything? And he comes to the conclusion, yes. And we see this test before him, and that's how he's able to pass it. Abraham has seen God himself give himself a death sentence. Like God literally says, Abraham, if I don't deliver for you, if I don't give you Isaac, then I will die. That is the promise that God gives Abraham. And Abraham's heard it over and over. He searched the mind and heart of God. He's, he knows it to be true. So he can do it. So he raises the knife. Abraham doubted along the way, failure after failure, but here he does not. Because look at what happens. While the same time God provides the lamb or the ram, God has been providing for Abraham faith all along the way. And God has been orchestrating this beautiful plan and these beautiful situations where Abraham is being tested. And as he's being tested, his faith is being stretched and he sees all the ways he's messing up but every time he messes up he keeps experiencing a god who is gracious to him and who is faithful to his promises and it's through his unbelief that god orchestrates all these situations that arrive him today where he believes so much that he can obey god and do whatever god's called him to do the growth wasn't pretty but god's hand was in all of it and this is the pilgrimage that you are on in order to grow you into the faith, the kind of faith like Abraham who could do anything that God asked him because he knows that God has good in store for him and for Isaac. I shared this a few weeks ago that my dream, not like a dream when you sleep, but my dream would be that we would have property out west of town, we'd have a house there, and then there we could build enough, a few more houses in order to have like a spiritual retreat center. People could go for three months, and there would be great and amazing things that would happen in this place. However, there's still a problem. It's a nice and controlled environment. And God does not work in controlled environments. Look at what he does with Abraham back in chapter 12. He calls him to go out into the unknown. He doesn't say, Abraham, go and stay in your house and sit there and I'm going to come and visit you and we're going to do, you know, I'm going to grow you. He says, go out into the unknown to the place where I will one day show you, but I'm not telling you where it's going to be. And out there, eventually you're going to have a kid. And he's like, well, how's that going to be? Because Sarah's barren. Oh, it's going to happen. Just go get out. And so he leaves. He goes out on this spiritual pilgrimage in this uncontrolled environment, and the same thing has to be true for you. Your step of faith is to go out into the unknown, and then that is where God does his greatest work. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis that I have at this point probably overused, but it's too good not to use here. So, here's what he says. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you, can't, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, and so on. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? 
The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought. Throwing out a new wing here, putting up an extra floor here, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building you into a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. You have a pilgrimage that God has called you to go out into the unknown. And it is there that God is building you into a palace, not some controlled environment. And along the way, you are going to get banged up, you are going to get bruised, there's going to be trials, there's going to be failures, but always you will see a God who is faithful to his promises. There's going to be things happening in your life that you're confused about. Same thing was true with Abraham. And it's in this journey that you're going to wrestle with faith and doubt, but over and over and over again, you will see a God who delivers on his promises. And you'll get to know the character of God. And along this journey into the unknown, into this uncontrolled environment, you're opening up your Bible, and you're searching the heart and mind of God, and you're in prayer, and you're discovering him more and more and more. And it's in this journey that you become the man like Abraham, who is faith that has burst through the limits of what we understand faith to be. And remember this, it took 25 years for God to deliver on the promise that he will have a baby boy. 25 years, wandering around. And they failed along the way. Sarah even offered her husband to another woman so that she might get pregnant and so Sarah could, Sarah could claim that baby as her own, but that just causes a major problem. It was messy, but God wasn't absent in it, much like your life. And it's so important that Abraham be tested this way. This test has to happen. Why? This is our third point, the need for the test. Think about this. Everything for him was about having this child. Everything. He's their miracle. We often say this about our kids. And when something is your everything, and that everything isn't God, you are on a path that's about to lead to ruin for both you and your kids if you make them your everything. Isaac is in danger of becoming Abraham's God. This test is not only something for him to pass, but it's a revelation of what's already going on in Abraham. But even more than that, this test is forcing Abraham to take the final step and seal God as the one he will trust above all things, even reason. It's the most reasonable thing for him to do. By Abraham making Isaac the willing sacrifice, he is removing Isaac's potential to become on the throne of his heart, become his king, become his God, and he is placing God there where he belongs. Let me do a little C.S. Lewis quote again. C.S. Lewis says, there are first things and second things. First things is God. Second things is his creation, including our kids and all that God has created. He says, if you make first things first and second things second, you will enjoy both God and your kids and everything else. But if you put second things first, you will enjoy neither God, nor your kids, nor anything else. Why is that? See, if Abraham makes Isaac his number one, makes him his God, makes him the thing that he loves most, even above God, then watch what he'll have to do. 
He'll have to go to Isaac to get from Isaac what only God can give him. So let's see how that plays out. So Abraham's having a bad day, and he goes to Isaac. Isaac says everything. We tend to do this with the thing that we love most. We make it our savior, even your kids. And so he, he, he's having a bad day. He goes to Isaac to give him a better day. Not like Isaac's going to counsel him as a 10-year-old, but to see the smile of on the face upon the person through who is your everything has a way of making you feel like you have some purpose and some comfort and it will give you some joy. And it sounds so sweet, but watch what happens to Isaac. It's a lot of pressure for a little 10-year-old. Isaac will find himself trying to be happy in order to make his dad, who is unhappy, happy again. That's a lot of pressure on a little boy. And what ends up happening is now Isaac's whole life, watch this, becomes a sacrifice for Abraham in order to make Abraham happy for the rest of his life. So Isaac's like, oh, God is calling me to do this. But, you know, God, Abraham is my dad, and he's unhappy, and I know he's, like, made me his everything. So if I'm happy, he's going to be happy. And if I do what he asked me to do as opposed to what God asked me to do, then that's going to make Abraham, my dad, happy, so he keeps doing it. And what ends up happening is Isaac's whole life has now been sacrificed. Because he was his father's everything. Either way, Isaac gets sacrificed. In fact, by this test, actually what we see happen is that Isaac is saved from his father. Isaac is resurrected from a slow death that his father would have given him. Isn't this fascinating? So God also is saving Abraham. Because if Isaac is Abraham's God, then Isaac, who is not God, will suck the life out of Abraham because only God can sustain us. This becomes this incredibly dysfunctional, codependent relationship that starts happening. You know, here's what I mean. If you have something that isn't your God and make it your God, like an idol, that thing has to drain the life from you to survive. Neither of them can give them the life that they want. Only God can. But they're sucking the life out of each other to try to get the life that only God can give them. And they become so in need of each other and so desperate for each other and so in need to have... I mean, you see this with love relationships. You see this with jobs, with careers. I mean, it just goes beyond just this story. And here's the point. You have to go to God to sustain you of life. Everything else pulls life out of you. Look, if you're going to sacrifice for others, if you're going to live the life you know that you should live, God tells us that it is impossible if you aren't finding life from God. So look, in order for you to survive, something has to die. You eat an animal, a steak like Eileen talked about earlier, that animal had to die for you to live. Same thing with the plant, there's a sort of a death involved. Only God can sustain you because only God is eternal and life never runs out of him. That's the idea of the tree of life, by the way. It's not that the tree of life gives life. It's that the tree of life is connected to the life source who is God. So by eating of the tree of life, you live forever. Adam and Eve, if you didn't know this, they were born mortal, not immortal. Hey, 
and they had to eat of the tree of life in order to live forever. But instead they chose the other tree and it brought about death. And look at this. You face the same test every single day. You are tempted every day to make something other than God your God and then listen to that voice. And that voice will say, this doesn't sound reasonable, don't listen to God. And the test for you today is to put God as your number. I mean, that's the test before you right now. I know some of you guys, like you have your things, I know you. And you're, you, this, there's something you're holding on to more than you're holding on to God. And the challenge and the test before you right now is to make God your God. Will you trust that God knows what's best for you? And look, everything, I just, I just explained everything to you. I reasoned it all out. I made it make sense, but God doesn't give that to Abraham. He just says, go sacrifice your son. And he does it. And by doing that, he and Isaac are saved from a slow death. I remember before we started the Grove, I went to this training uh, with this professor who had planted a bunch of churches, and he, and he had a serious talk with us, and he said, listen, you're going to be tempted to make your ministry your God or your goddess. And when you do, you will be sacrificing your family and your kids for the goddess of ministry. And you will think that you are doing God's work and that you are serving God, but actually you'll be serving the goddess of your ministry. In other words, you will be sacrificing your kids the same way that Abraham, as Abraham, except, watch, your career won't provide a lamb or a ram. Only God provides. He's the only one who will provide in what he calls you to do. Everything else is live like this. You say, well, where's the lamb that's going to provide? There is none. Only God provides the lamb. And the degree to which you pass or fail the test that God has put before you is the degree to which you believe that God will provide for you in Christ. This is our fourth point, the God who provides. Abraham said that God would provide. He told his son, God will provide before God had provided. He knew it in his bones that God would deliver on his promises. And by trusting, he raises Isaac from the dead. Now look, this is pointing us both backwards and forwards. Back to the tree of life and forwards to the tree that Jesus would hang on that would become the new tree of life. Adam and Eve never make it to the tree of life that sustains them by connecting to the one who is life. They go to the tree of knowledge and good and evil. Now look, this tree of knowledge and good and evil, it's not that God doesn't want them to be knowledgeable. It's that God wants them to get their knowledge from him, but instead they say, nope, I'm getting my knowledge from myself. I will be God, thank you. And he takes, the, Adam and Eve take the throne. They didn't want to learn from God. And I'd imagine that as Abraham is being tested here, he would be thinking to himself, this doesn't make any sense. I need to trust my reason. I need to trust my gut. Everything seems wrong about sacrificing my son Isaac. 
But Abraham comes to believe that God knows something that he doesn't know and that he can trust him, that he is good and loving and gracious and there's no better place for Isaac to be in the hands of God. And some of you right now, you've got to give your kids to God. Like you've got to let God have them. And some of you with your careers, you've got to let God have your career. And with your looks, you got to let God have your looks. And with your success, you got to let God have your success. And with your desires for comfort, you got to let God have that. And you got to find your comfort in him. And you got to stop going everywhere else for it. you got to hold up the knife to those things so that you will see that God will provide for you all that you need in your comfort. He will give you the identity that you're longing for when you want to look a certain way. He will give you everything, and he can care for your kids way better than you can. The test is before us every single day, like Adam and Eve and like Abraham. Do you trust that God will provide? Now, how do you get to that point, like Abraham, that you believe God so much that you're willing to obey him no matter what he calls you to do? Well, let's look in the story. So look at Isaac. He's carrying a tree. Do you know that? Like he's carrying wood that was a tree that's been chopped up. He's carrying his own cross, you can say. And then he's laying on it to die. But then what happens? A substitute comes, the ram, to take his place. Isaac was a dead kid walking. And he's now resurrected because a substitute came. That's exactly what Jesus does with us. It says in Galatians, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. The cross is often supposed to be thought of as a tree. And while Isaac carries his tree to his death, but turns into a tree of life, the same is true for us, that we have a cross because of our sin, because of our disobedience, because of whatever it is. We are carrying a tree to our death. And then Jesus comes as our substitute. And when we believe and we trust in the cross, the cross becomes the new tree of life because our Savior has been hammered to it. And his blood is pouring out of him into the tree which gives us life. Blood is meant to be seen as life in the Bible. So his blood, his life is poured out to us. He dies so that we might live. And look at this. Three days journey it takes for Abraham to get to the place where Isaac is then resurrected from the dead. Gosh, do you think this is a coincidence? Come on. God is orchestrating this beautiful story to point us forward. And not only that, you felt what Abraham would have been feeling like. And this story is meant to make us feel like what God feels. When his son is hanging there on the cross and we say to ourselves, how could God do that to his son? How could he do it? And, and then we realize that we're Isaac. And we start pleading with God and we start crying out for God, God, make a way, please make a way. And then before us, we see his son come. And he says, I am Jesus, the son of God, who's come to provide for you a way out. He says, I am the lamb. The way, the truth, and the life. The test is before you. Will you see him 
as the only one who will provide. And if you do, you will pass the test. And every sin, every failure to obey him comes because there is something else other than God ruling your life. And you don't really trust that God can deliver on his promises. But he can and he will and he's promised you over and over and over again. Jesus is the source of life. Put your trust in him and you will find yourself doing things that seem unreasonable, but you will realize it's the most reasonable thing to do because you have a God who has died for you and that is a God that you can trust. Let me pray. God, you know each and every one of us and you know that we have something that we see is more valuable than you, greater than you, that holds more worth than you in our heart and in our mind. Though we might not say it out loud, our actions speak otherwise. And so we pray that you would speed up our growth, God. That you would take what took Abraham 35 years to come to this point that you would do in us much quicker. God, give us that grace that makes us realize you are that God for us. And at each and every test that's before us, God, help us to trust you, that you know better than we do. Help us pass the tree, the bad tree, and go right up to the tree of life to see our Savior who's hanging there and showing us that we can trust him with everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.